0: I just want to read from the Bible just now. As I said, I'm not going to be preaching for a long time uh, this morning, but I'm going to read the passage that's set for today from John chapter 7. It's John chapter 7 from verse 37. And we read that on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one has ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus who had gone to, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, "Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does?" They replied, "Are you from Galilee too?" Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Let's just pray. Father, we just thank you for your word given to us and we pray that you'll help us to get to the the heart of what this word is saying. And Lord, you'll help us to apply this word to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, just to say again, over the last six months, uh, eight months, sorry, while I've been serving at the Haven in Stirling, I've had so many opportunities to share the life transforming message of Jesus Christ. Fantastic opportunities of God's love made flesh in Christ. For instance, on a Tuesday afternoon, I, I lead a Bible study with some folks who are very early in their Christian walk, and on a Tuesday night, I'm part of a meeting called Celebrate Recovery. And every person there, like Anne-Marie, has a story to tell. And these meetings and these studies, let me tell you, are real, open, and honest. This isn't about time spent discussing abstract truth or or debating some fine points of theology. No, this is actually, this is about people who know they need God, who are under no illusions about that. It's about people who've had hard lives and who, because of that, in their life, continue to face real challenges. People who are hungry for God and who are so refreshing and, and then acceptive and supporting of one another. It's about people who are searching for the real core of what the Christian life is is all about, and who, well, guess what, who are finding out that it works, that it is life transforming, and their lives are being transformed bit by bit, day by day. But before I go on to look at at what this passage is about, which is actually, it's actually about the core of the Christian life, the secret of how we can truly live the Christian life, what my friends at the Haven are and what every Christian I believe should be focused on. Let me, before I get to that core, let me just spend a few minutes on the setting, the setting of this passage, which I think you need to know to really understand what's actually being said here by Jesus. And the, the significance of the setting here all revolves around the fact that this took place at the time of the Jewish Feast of the Tabernacles, or as the NIV alternatively translates this in John 7, 2, the Feast of the Booths. Now, this is a feast that that took place around six months after the Feast of the Passover. And you see, while the the Feast of the Passover was designed to, to remind God's people that he had passed over them when he'd sent his judgment on Egypt and so had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. But you see, what the Feast of the Booths was designed to remind them of, as they built booths, tabernacles, basically huts, And lived in them during the time of the harvest of the olives and the grapes. And they lived beside their fields so as to be able to guard them and protect them. This was to remind them of how they had lived during their time in the desert after leaving Egypt. And how God had continually and faithfully provided for them with the sting in all this being though that it may also cause them to remember and to reflect on the fact that they had lived in these huts. They'd lived there in the wilderness for 40 years. And they had been kept there for 40 years because of their sin, because of their unbelief, because of their rebellion against God. But there's something, I think, about the, the timing of this Feast of the Tabernacles in general, and also about this particular feast here that I think is also highly significant. So first of all, the timing of the Feast of Tabernacles, as we've said, is that it took place six months after Passover in around September or October every year. But you see, this is the time of drought in Israel. Usually they wouldn't have had any major downpour of rain for six months since spring. So their water systems would be at their lowest ebb. Their riverbeds would be running dry. Their hills would be barren and parched. They desperately needed rain then. They needed rain to finish off so they could bring in that year's harvest, and they needed rain to provide the water reserves needed for the next year's harvest. Rain at this time of year was so desperately needed and was seen as a powerful sign of the blessing of God. So just imagine then, in this kind of context, the impacts when at the very climax of this feast, Jesus stood and said these now famous words, verse 37 If a man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. But the timing of what Jesus says here at this feast of the tabernacles, it's also significant, I believe, in a very particular way. For you see, it's six months on from this, six months on at the next Passover, that Jesus' crucifixion with all the events that surround it, and then three days later, his resurrection. It's then that all this happens. From John 7 then, to John 10, what we find squeezed in to these few chapters is all that happened in the last six months of his earthly ministry. With John 11 and the chapters following on, with all of this being focused on the, the momentous events surrounding the crucifixion and also flowing from the crucifixion. In that context then, Don't you think that that suggests that here at the beginning, the very outset of this final chapter, that it would be likely that Jesus would say here something of great importance. That's in some way related to what he's going to do and what he's going to achieve in his death and resurrection. Now I believe that to be the case. And I believe that this comes to its peak here in verse 37 and verse 38. We're here, Jesus takes us to the core of the Christian life. He takes us to the secret of how we can truly live the Christian life. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said, about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had was not yet glorified. Now you see, the Jews who first listened to Jesus as he said these words would know something, would know at least in part what Jesus was getting at as he said this. For you see, as Jews, they had a a basic understanding that God does work in His world by His Spirit, usually for them and their thinking, only through special people in particular circumstances. But they would have this understanding. And their understanding and practice of the the Feast of Tabernacles did add something here, because you see, at this basic, basically harvest festival, that's what it was at the end of the the drought season, when, as we've said, the supply of water was its lowest, the land was parched, people were desperate. Well, water, understandably, played a big part in all the ritual of this feast. And so every day, a golden flagon would be filled with water from the pool of Siloam. And this then was, was carried in a procession that was led by the high priest carried back to the temple then this water was mixed with wine and and it was poured into silver bowls which were then poured out in the temple as an offering to the Lord now in in Jewish thinking that that was historically recorded we can find records of this, they're thinking at the time of Jesus this outpouring in the temple symbolised two things first It was a look back, a look back to God's provision, particularly his provision of water for his people in the desert. For example, in Exodus 17, Numbers 20, when Moses struck a rock and the water they desperately needed flowed from the rock. But also, this was at the same time a look forward. I look forward particularly to the fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy found in Zechariah 14 verse 8. His prophecy that in the last day, that is when Christ comes in the glory that that day will be, in that last day, water will flow out from Jerusalem to the very furthermost corners of the east. Now again, the Jews who were there They knew in part what Jesus was saying here. That in some way they could not fully understand that he was claiming that he was the rock to be broken for him, for them, sorry. And he was to be the source of living water. He was to be the source of that ultimate refreshing of that life, that life that comes from God alone. But of course, we here who are Christians today know exactly what Jesus was saying. He was saying that on the cross, he was to be the rock, the one broken for us. There on the cross, as he gave his perfect sinless life to pay the price of all our sin. But more than that, because He defeated death because he rose from the dead, because he won the victory over Satan and sin. So by faith in him, we can know now the power of the Spirit. We can know the life of the Spirit. We can know that living water, that water breaking into our lives now, and we can know that life fully and perfectly at that last day, when Jesus comes again. We can drink of the living water. We can know the Spirit of God at work in our lives in power. We can, as we put our faith, our trust in Jesus and in what he's doing for us. You see, this is what he's doing. in that lady we looked at earlier in Anne-Marie's life, and you know something? In a way that is unique to you, to your circumstances, your life, your personality, this is what God wants to do in your life, too. He does. As you give your life to God, and then as you go on to live your life for God, as you go on every day to live open to Him, yielded to Him, hungry and thirsty for Him, then God wants to do special things not just in special people, but in each and every one of his people. So I say, yield your life to God. Each one of us, yield, give yourself, open yourself, make knowing God and living for God your priority, your first thing. Do that. I tell you, I believe we will all stand back in amazement as we see what God will do. May God bless his people here. Let's come in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for our Savior Jesus, the rock who was broken for us, the one who will return on that last day. We want to thank you that he is the source of living water, That in him we come to know life in the spirit, that life that is full, that life that transforms. Oh, Father, help us to truly yield ourselves, to hold nothing back, to give ourselves to you, that we might know you in your fullness, in your life-transforming power. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.